Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. is Erin on Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you with another Tuesday morning episode. Today, we have an author interview with Claire Pooley, where we discuss her novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. And then I will be back to chat with you about this week's new books. So let's get started. We'll do the usual housekeeping information, followed by the interview, and then I'll be back and we will discuss new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon. And today I am chatting with author Claire Pooley about her novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. This is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on June 7th. Claire, thank you so much for joining me, and I'm so excited that your book is coming out on such an epic release day. There are so many great things coming out. Oh, well, thank you for for having me. I'm delighted to be here, all the way from London, actually. Ah, in the afternoon, then in London, um, yes, in the morning exactly, for me exactly. as we're recording. So I am so, talking, talking to you from your future. <laughs> ooh, fancy. So can we start with a brief introduction to Iona Iverson's rules for commuting so that listeners can have a little bit of an idea what to expect? Sure. Um, well, the book is about a group of strangers. Uh, there are so five, five or six. Um, people who have absolutely nothing in common apart from the fact that they share the same commute to work each day. So each of them takes um, the same train uh, from the suburbs of London into central London and um, they see each other sort of over and over again um, and they give each other little nicknames and they imagine what each other's lives are like outside their shared commute and they um, they make incredible assumptions about each other, as we all do. But one thing they never do is they never speak, because oh. that's a, a sort of cardinal rule of London commuting. You never talk to strangers on the train. In fact, you don't even make eye contact because that's just seen as being a bit weird. So they <laughs> never speak until in the very first chapter of the book, one of them um, who uh, we call or one of the characters describes a smart but sexist manspreader. Um, chokes, he chokes on a grape and he nearly dies, can't breathe. And 
one of the other commuters, um, who happens to be a nurse, gives him the Heimlich maneuver and saves his life. And that one incident starts this chain reaction and gets these group of commuters talking and when they start talking extraordinary things start to happen so yes that's the the basic idea of the book so I have to say that I lived in New York City well in Long Island and I would um, commute into the city and people in New York apparently do not understand that you should not talk to strangers on the train (laughs) um, because I like so many people would try to talk to me on the train and it always just made me very uncomfortable. So maybe I need to uh, move to London so that people won't talk to me on the train. Oh yes. We're very good at being buttoned up and repressed over here. (laughs) I could, I I could deal very nicely with that. I actually got my first iPod so that I could take it with me on the train um, and have music playing so that I didn't have to hear people talk to me. Oh, very clever. Yes, because I'm I'm kind of rude like that. <laughs> so this is, I believe, your second novel. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Because the um, Authenticity Project came out a couple of years ago, I think now, like in yes. 2020. So yes, 2020. Have you found like any kind of carryover and things that you've learned from writing your first book? that helped you in writing your second one or was it a completely new kind of like clean slate experience? Oh, you know, people talk about the tricky second novel, don't they? It's a bit like the tricky second album. And, yes. Um, you know, it can be really hard, especially because um, the Authenticity Project, my first novel was a New York Times bestseller and, um, you know, it's translated in 30 languages and, you know, it, it did, it did very well. And, and, when you write your first novel, you're just, in a way, you're sort of just writing for yourself. You know, you're just, uh, you, you don't have major expectations about it. Nobody has any expectations about it. Right. Um, and when you're writing your second novel, suddenly everybody has expectations and you feel this sort of weight on your shoulder of, of you know, your potential readers and your publishers and, you know, your agents and everything um so it can be a very different experience and I spent a year writing my second novel through lockdown and I started before lockdown and went into lockdown and um and I got to the end and I just realized it just I wasn't really feeling any joy and I thought well maybe it's just me and I sent it to my publishers and they were very nice about it but they weren't really joyful about it either. And you know what I did? I threw it away and I started all over again. Um, And I think what I learned is that if you don't feel, certainly for me, I think the emotions I feel when I'm reading a book, I, I find very hard not to transmit to the reader. And I think if I'm not feeling joyful about the writing process, I don't think people feel joyful about reading it so I started all over again with this idea about people who met on a train because I was writing in lockdown when I really missed those days of of crowds and commutes and and getting out of the house and it was you know I wanted to be in that world and the whole experience of writing effectively my third novel was very different I absolutely loved it it just flew off the it flew onto the page and 
my publishers loved it and here we are so so actually it's not my second novel at all it's my third but not many people know that <laughs> ah yes because now the the actual second novel um has has gone away <laughs> yes exactly so i think the trick to writing the tricky second novel is to write it throw it away and start all over again <laughs> So when you started all over, like this is completely different than from the book that you started and finished and discarded. Um, Did you keep any plot elements from that or did you completely like wipe it clean and say, okay, we're starting? Um, I didn't keep any plot elements. It's a completely different story, but I did keep one of the characters because when I threw Ah. the, the novel in the bin, there was this character who sort of, I could hear saying, don't leave me, <laughs> take me with you. And Iona Iverson, the heroine of, of, of the book, uh, was in the discarded novel um, in a slightly different form. But the great thing about that was when I started writing the new book, she came fully formed. You know, she was already, I'd lived with her uh, for a yes. year. I knew her really well. And um, I think part of the reason she became such a vibrant and eccentric and interesting character was because I'd lived with her for so long so so she was the only thing that remained and I'm really pleased about that because uh because yeah she's uh she she's wonderful she's my hero I love that that you know you were able to take like this one element from a book that didn't work for you and turn it into something that did yeah, and it means that it didn't feel like a waste, you know, because I, I, as I said, I spent a year writing that book and 80,000 words and, uh, you know, and now I look back and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it was a wasted year at all. It feels like it was a warm up year. <laughs> yes, because it gave you that extra insight into your heroine that you wouldn't have had had you started this book Um you know, without having written the previous one. Yeah, and it taught me, you know, when you said, you know, your question was, um, you know, does it feel different? Did this feel different? And I think it taught me that you have to write for yourself. You can't write for, you know, you can't write thinking about what people are expecting. You have to write something that you really need to write um and I think that's that was the big difference between my second book and my third book it's really interesting because a lot of people I think especially people who write you know genre fiction talk a lot about like understanding what the market is and writing specifically for that market and I've always wondered like well what if like something about that you know doesn't doesn't work for you anymore like how do you tailor it you know in that way if because like people change you know year after year after year and like what if you know that just doesn't it doesn't work like I've always been really interested in how people make that work for themselves um when you know after a while it it might not yes um yeah I I know exactly what you mean and I I think uh, uh I think there has to be there has to be joy in the process um and you know if you're if you're worrying too much about the market and expectations and all of those things it's easy just to lose sight of the magic really um you know there has to, you, you have to allow enough enough space for the magic to get in and if you try and write to a formula 
you don't you can't it doesn't allow you enough room for those magical things to happen yes and your first novel did remarkably well I would think especially for like your your debut and so I'm guessing that when you sat down to write that second book you know that would be a really kind of daunting task I would guess Uh, yes it was and I think that's that's why I found it, one of the reasons why I found it so hard. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there are so many examples of, uh, of writers who've had a brilliant debut and have gone on to, to you know, not write anything else. Or, oh, or, it's you know, true. It's, it's, uh, yeah, so, so I, I'm always, I'm always, conscious that uh you know that the the book I'm writing may be the last book I ever write and I hope it isn't you know but you just you just never know what's going to happen with 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 this sort of this sort of job it's uh you know it's it's who who knows I think you just have to be grateful that when it goes right it's going right Is this a job that you always wanted to have? Like, have you known for a long time that writing is what you were meant to do? Yeah, you know, what? when I was a teenager, if you'd asked me what I wanted to, to do, I would have told you that I wanted to be a novelist. But I then went into advertising. I spent 20 years in advertising and um, uh, and life got in the way. And I, I wasn't and I I wasn't sure that it was anything that I could do even if I was able to commit the time to trying it was it felt like a pipe dream um but uh and and so I feel incredibly grateful every day that uh that I'm able to do this and you know I published my first novel at the age of 50 so so it's really my sort of my my second act if you like and you know it's funny if I say to my kids that I can't uh, do something because mummy's working they go mummy making up stories is not a proper job <laughs> and, and you know what they're right it's not a proper job it's way better than that it's uh you know it's it's something I would do even if I wasn't being paid to do it it's just a you know it's a passion it's not a it's not a job at all so I'm immensely lucky and I'm very aware of how lucky I am I would say that creating stories is like the most proper job anyone could ever have um just like reading things that people make up is also like the best thing that anyone could ever do oh well you know every time I talk to a reader who or get a message or, or email from a reader who who talks about my characters as if they know them um I just it's such a joy to to feel like you've magic these people out of thin air and they've become real to me they're like my friends and then they become real to other people all over the world and that's just it's an extraordinary feeling actually it's a real it's a real privilege is it hard for you to say goodbye to your characters like once the book is done are they people that kind of continue to take up space in your mind or yeah, do you I, I don't let say them goodbye go? to them. <laughs> ah. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't really say goodbye to them because I've become so close to them. I mean, I just, I see them less often, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't really say goodbye. So for instance, you know, the characters in the authenticity project during the pandemic, 
I worried about them. I worried about how they'd be getting on, you know. Ah. <laughs> and I imagine that, you know, if you, for anyone who's read The Authenticity Project, they'd know that Monica um, uh, was an aficionado of, of antibacterial hand gel well before the rest of us discovered it. So ah, she well, been she fine. Um, yes, yeah, she's probably... And, safe and healthy <laughs> exactly exactly so so I I do I do still feel like they're there um which means that my imagination has got very crowded because I've got all my current characters as well as all my past ones sort of taking up space that's just always something you know that I've wondered like people talk about you know how close they feel to their characters and then they have to move on. So I've just always been really interested in, in how that how that works for different people. Mm. So how would you describe the books that you write? Like if you had to put a label on them, whether it's like a genre label or just a, a descriptive label, like what what would you call them? Oh, the, the label that people use most frequently is feel good fiction. Um, so uh, or uplifting fiction, um, but uh, it's it's a difficult label because um, you know I I think I think it's correct in that I like to write books that make people feel better about the world and make, make people feel hopeful about the world and I sort of feel like there's enough really bad stuff going on right now and you know we sort of want to be transported away from that so so that's a sort of fiction that I like to to write and also that's a sort of thing because I have to live with this these stories in my head I I like to live with um stories that as I said give me hope I think if I was writing dark thrillers I don't think it would be very good for my mental health um so, no so I, I think that's serial that, killers that's, and <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you don't want them in your head forever no um, so, uh, so yes, I, I would call it feel-good fiction. But however, um, I think there, that doesn't mean that everything that happens is happy um, because you can't have light without shade. So right. in order, I think, for a book to be properly uplifting, you have to go through the downs in order for the ups to feel, feel good. Um, what you don't want a book is a book that is all unrealistically happy and uplifting because it just ends up feeling unrealistic and a bit, a bit saccharine. So, right. And uh, people are like, okay, like, but like what, what happens here? Like there's nothing, these people aren't like going through anything. Mm, exactly. So, so I think you have to sort of put your characters through the ringer in order for them to come out on top at the end. Um, and it's also important that not everything is perfect at the end because life isn't like that. So so I do try and make sure that there is enough edge to the mm-hmm. stories as well. So we've talked about what you write, but what kind of things do you like to read? Oh, you know, I read, I read everything. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I don't stick to a particular genre um, and it just depends on my mood. And I read in different formats as well. So I read on Kindle. I read, uh, do audio. I love audio books. All um, hail the audio. Yeah. Audio books are great, you know, because yes, it they allows are. me to, you know, go for dog walks, do the, do the laundry, you know, the housework while I'm listening to stories, long journeys. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, but I, I, 
I read thrillers, I read historical fiction, I read classics, I read um, feel-good fiction, uh, you know, uh, contemporary, uh, pretty much whatever, depending on my mood. So, yes, a very, very broad, broad spread. So what have you read recently that you think people should know about? Oh, well, my favorite book so far this year is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmuse. Have you read that yet? I have not, but I have heard so, so many good things about this book. Oh, it's it's really fabulous. You know, I mean, the thing is, I mean, you, you I'm sure you find this, too. When you read a lot, a, there's very little you read that really stands out where you think I haven't come across a character like this before or I haven't anything quite the same as this and that book uh from the you know the first chapter or two I was thinking I haven't read I haven't come across a character like this or read anything like this for as long as I can remember it was it's a real standout book that one um, so yes, that's one of my favourites. And another one completely different, it's fantasy, and I don't normally read much fantasy, but House in the Cerulean Sea, um, I absolutely loved, again, because it just transported me at a time when everything was a bit bleak, um, and, uh, and that's a wonderful book. Um, uh, so those are, those are two of my recent favourites. We have a presenter um, on Book Bistro named Amber, and she loves, loves, loves T.J. Klune. And so House in the Cerulean Sea is a book that she talks about quite a bit. um, And she also really likes The Extraordinaries um, and a few other things that that have been done. But I think um, House in the Cerulean Sea is like one of her favorites. Yeah, and that's that's a great example of feel-good fiction in that each of the characters is, like my characters, is dealing with, you know, stuff. They're, they they've all got some some big issue that, that they're having to grapple with, um, and uh, but you and you end up realizing that you know whatever flaw that's the flaws that these characters have that make them unique and lovable and real and um you know and it's the connections between them that allow the sort of you know transformation to happen so do you think that since you've read the house in the cerulean sea like do you think that fantasy is something that you might read more of in in future uh oh i i think it again it very much depends on on my mood and on the the uh the particular book i mean i've got three teenagers and they love fantasy novels so so they quite you know they they often uh, they often recommend things to me so it's the great thing about having teenagers i think in in all sorts of life is that they push you out of your comfort zone i have to say that i think your teenagers are growing up in one of the best times for books because when I was growing up you know you didn't really have this wide young adult section Mm, with true we had marvelous yes (laughs) yes and then it was kind of like either you know kids books or adult books like there was this huge sort of chasm between them but nothing that really filled it in the way that YA does now. 
And so much YA has amazing like adult crossover. I would say probably half of what I read falls into at least, you know, YA or kind of like YA adjacent mm. um, novels. And you know what? Um, those those sorts of novels are a brilliant way of helping teenagers navigate the issues that they're dealing with because they can picture themselves in the shoes of you know the the characters in in the books they're reading and and you know experience different ways of dealing with issues they can so it teaches them a huge amount without them feeling like they're learning anything um so so I think it's a really valuable way of of helping teenagers navigate life is, is giving them the joy of reading I think it also meets teenagers where they are in a way that feels so natural and organic. Like they're not written in a way that screams, oh, my gosh, you know, this book is for teenagers and it's all full of like moralizing. And it's they're just so deep and complex um, in a way that. I think allows teenagers to kind of see themselves because teenagers are deep and complex people. You know, they're not mm. just sort of these vapid, like, you know, beings that can't grasp difficult concepts. Yeah. And it's a tough world for them right now. You know, I mean, I, I think in many ways it's a much harder world than the one we grew up in. And, you know, one of the, the characters in Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting is, is Martha, who is 15. And, um, you know, she, uh, at the beginning of the book, we, we discover that she um, was encouraged to send an inappropriate picture of herself to a boy that she fancied. And inevitably, oh, yes. he shared it with somebody and that friend uploaded it to the year group WhatsApp chat. And... Um, you know, so we see Martha sort of navigating her way through that situation with the help of Iona. Um, and, you know, we didn't we didn't have to deal with that sort of stuff when when. No, we were it's teenagers. true. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, you know, it's a difficult it's a difficult world out there. So so I think for teenagers having books to escape to is, is a is a great, a great thing. And I just enjoy that sort of rich tapestry that, you know, I just keep thinking, like, if I were a teenager now, I would be drowning in good books in a way that I I just wasn't growing up. You know, I always read things, but I ended up reading things that I was probably too young, you know, to read at the time. Like, I escaped into the world of historical romance when I was, like, 11 or 12, and I was reading these really big, you know, sweeping um, kind of bodice ripper, um, the books <laughs> that I call, you know, the romances of my youth, um, which, you know, thinking back about them now as a woman in my 40s, like, I, I don't know that I would want my 12 year old daughter reading something like this. Mm. And yet those were the books that I was drawn to because it was either that or like, you know, the Babysitter's Club, um, which was fine when I was 10. But not so fine as I you know, got older. I was looking for something that filled that gap and there really wasn't anything. Mm. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think that has been a, a major development. And, and also the different formats, you know, audio is, is, we've just touched on earlier, but it's a great way of introducing people who are not natural readers to the joy of fiction. So oh, my son, yes. you know, ne- always struggled with reading books because, you know, he can't sit still. He can't sort of focus oh, for, uh-huh. for long enough. And whereas audio, he can do because he can he can have it in the background while he's doing something else. And, right. Uh, and I don't care how he accesses his stories so long as he does, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yes. so I love the fact that he he uh, he's embraced audio. Do you have a lot of audio um, options in the UK? Like, do your public libraries carry them pretty relative, like pretty easily, or uh, yes, um, how do you do. find access? Yes, it's. Uh, I mean, there. Are, I, I think the the majority of of audio goes through Audible. Uh, ah, yes, Audible. As as it does, I imagine, in the US. But, uh, but yes. you can there there are library options as well. Yes, I love libraries. <laughs> yes, so do I. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. You're pretty close to release days. I imagine you have a lot going on, but I appreciate you taking time to chat with me and let listeners know a little bit about who you are and what you write. Before I let you dash off, can you let us know the best place to find you online oh um i you can find me on instagram i'm at claire underscore pooley p-o-o-l-e-y um, on twitter i'm at c pooley writer um, and my website is clairepooley.com perfect again this has been a discussion with author claire pooley of iona iverson's rules for commuting which is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on June 7th. All right, so new books. As always, I'm going to start with some stuff that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated releases of August episode. I'm starting with the new Karen Slaughter. This is called Girl Forgotten, and it was one of Georgina's picks for most anticipated releases. Then we have a couple things that Sarah is looking forward to. One is Love on the Brain, the Love Hypothesis, number two, by Allie Hazelwood, a contemporary romance. And then the second one is Soul Taken, Mercy Thompson, number 13, by Patricia Briggs, which is part of an ongoing urban fantasy series. And Stacy is also looking forward to a fantasy slash romance this this week. This is The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon. Um, kind of an epistolary, an epistolary like fantasy uh, with romantic elements. It looks very, very cool. So those are books that you've heard us talk about in the um, on a previous episode. So now let's move on to some things that you haven't heard us mention before. I'm going to start with a couple of young adult books. First up is Four for the Road. This is by K.J. Riley. This is about four teenagers, each of whom is dealing with grief. And they head off on this road trip to Graceland. And road trip books, I think, are, are some of the best. 
So I am really looking forward to this. This is Four for the Road, and it's by K.J. Riley. We also have On the Subject of Unmentionable Things by Julia Walton. And I first of all really like this title. It is about a teenage girl who wants to kind of reinvent sex education. She thinks that the way people have been doing it up until this point is, is wrong, and she has her own kind of spin on what she wants to do. Um, this author wrote a book a couple of years ago called Words on Bathroom Walls that got quite a bit of attention when it came out. I have not read it, although um, I do want to, and this is another one that I'll be adding to my list of things to read. This is On the Subject of Unmentionable Things by Julia Walton. All right, let's have some romance. Some historical romance. First up is the new Beverly Jenkins. This is To Catch a Raven, Women Who Dare, book three. Um, the first book in this series was um, about a teacher. The second one was about a, a female rancher. Um, and so I am very excited for this third one. Beverly Jenkins is one of those authors who writes in like a bunch of different subgenres, and everything she does is amazing. I especially love her historicals because she brings such vivid detail to each and every scene that she writes. So if you've never picked up a Beverly Jenkins book, I highly, highly recommend that you do so. Um, but this week we have, you know, as I said, the third in a series, and I think these can be read out of order. Um, I read the second book in the series before I read the first, and I had no trouble following the story. So this is To Catch a Raven, Women Who Dare, book three by Beverly Jenkins. And if you're looking for something that is more, you know, like the, the British historical romance, then you might be ready for Heartbreaker. This is Hell's Bells, book two, by Sarah McLean. And Sarah McLean is one of the most popular authors in, like, historical romance. Um, whenever I see a post online where people are looking for, you know, I'm trying to get my friend into historical romance. Like, who should I have them read? And Sarah McLean is someone that is always mentioned. Um... She's written several, several really popular series, um, but this one is the second in her Hell's Bells series, and again, it's called Heartbreaker, and as I said, that is by Sarah McLean. So let's move on now to some more contemporary romance. I want to talk about Scandalized. This is the debut novel from Ivy Owens. It is a second chance, very, very steamy romance about two people separated who meet up again in an airport. If you know anything about traveling these days, you know that, you know, flight delays are common. So this is just kind of a little spin on what could happen if you're stuck in an airport. This is scandalized and it's by Ivy Owens. I also want to mention Smart Girl Summer by Kristen Rockaway. This is a contemporary romance about a woman who is 
kind of her life is, is off the rails. Her PhD is not going well. Somehow she ends up teaching for six weeks on this yacht owned by this rich guy who needs a tutor for his daughter. Um, and I'm guessing you can probably guess where it goes from there. It's Smart Girl Summer by Kristen Rockaway. We also have The Spirit of Second Chances. This is Heart and Soul, book two by Cynthia Williams. This is an author that I first heard about um, through Smart Bitches, Trashy Books, um, which is a, a very popular romance website. And she is just somebody that I, I started paying a lot of attention to after I, I saw her mentioned there. And um, I picked up the first book in this series. I really, really liked it. And so I'm excited for this one. Um, I love that these books are kind of the, the perfect blend of like the things that we love about romance, the things that make us feel good, give you like all those warm feelings. But also, like I never felt that her writing was like over the top. I never thought that I was like, stretching stretching to to believe the story she was telling it just all felt very very seamless and natural kind of the the perfect um formula for for what we love about romance so if you're looking for that definitely give her books a try this one is the spirit of second chances heart and soul book two and it's by Cynthia williams we also have a new Jenny Colgan this week. This is Rules at the School by the Sea, Little School by the Sea, book two. Um, Sarah, Stacy, Georgina, I think Amber has also read a Jenny Colgan. Um, but this one, like the, the first book in this series, um, kind of had a different feel. It kind of reminded me more of like women's fiction than romance. And so I'm eager to see sort of how this plays out as the series continues, because I think a lot of her books in the past have been, you know, more sort of straight up romance. Um, but this one, as I said, looked a little different, strong female friendships, this whole like school vibe, which I really like, and just kind of exploring women's lives and the ups and downs that a lot of us go through. So this one is Rules at the School by the Sea, Little School by the Sea, book two by Jenny Colgan. All right, so I want to talk about some paranormal now. So first up, we have The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangumandana, and this book, has been on my radar for probably six months or more. She, it has this really cool like UK setting and we don't see a lot, at least I haven't seen a lot about witches in the UK. Like although most of the urban fantasy that I read takes place in the US, some of it in Australia, but not, not so much in the UK. So I'm really interested in that setting and also just like the, um, the whole idea that like this one witch who is our, our main character is struggling to find love and acceptance 
and to come to terms with her powers. So this one is one that I'm very, very excited for. It is The Very Secret Society for Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. And next up, we have a novella. This is The Graveside Bar and Grill by Dorinda Jones. It is set in the Charlie Davidson universe, but it does not feature Charlie Davidson herself. So if you're looking for like a way into this series and you don't want to like commit to reading, you know, the 13 books that are actually about Charlie, this might be a cool introduction for you. It is The Graveside Bar and Grill and it's by Dorinda Jones. We also have a new Ilona Andrews this week. This is Ruby Fever. Hidden Legacy, book six. Now, I have read the first three books in this series, which are the books that deal with um, Nevada Baylor. The fourth book is where we start with Catalina, who is Nevada's younger sister. And this is, um, I think, the conclusion to the Catalina portion. I'm curious to know if they will continue this series or if this actually ends, you know, the whole thing. But I do really enjoy Hidden Legacy. Um, I like a lot of Ilona Andrews stuff just as a rule. Um, but Hidden Legacy, I think, is, is super awesome. It is strong family dynamics, lots of steamy romance, a very complicated magic system that is unlike anything I've seen in other books. Um, and Luna Andrews just does such unique stuff. This one is Ruby Fever, Hidden Legacy, book six. And again, it's by Ilona Andrews. Earlier this year, um, Stacy picked up a Rebecca Zanetti book for the first time and really, really fell in love. Um, I think Mika has read a couple. I have read some Rebecca Zanetti, but not the series that Stacy talked about. Um, but one of the things that I know about this author is that she's very, very prolific. And she has a new series starting. This is called Wolf. And it's the Stope Packs, book one. So this is um, kind of more urban fantasy. Um, I don't know a lot about the actual synopsis. Um, I wasn't able to find a lot of information. But what I did see is that we have shapeshifters. We have alpha males. And lots of sexy times in stores. So if you're a Rebecca's Netty fan or if you're just looking for a new like paranormal urban fantasy romance series, I highly recommend that you give her a try and a new series might be you know the, the best place to start. This is Wolf Stope Packs book one by Rebecca Zanetti. We also have a Venom Dark and Sweet. This is The Book of Tea, book two, by Judy I. Lynn. The first book in this series came out earlier this year, um, and it is one that I have heard a ton of positive stuff about. We are doing this thing with like a competition, you know, a, a girl goes off and tries to win a spot as like this, um, like a, almost like an assassin, but not quite. 
Um, and, you know, we see sort of all the things that keep her from or try to keep her from achieving her goal. I really like the kind of competition um, competitions that are created in fantasy. I think like we see kind of the good and the bad of people. You know, we have people that are willing to form alliances and like stand up for each other. You also have the people that are ready to like stab you in the back. Um, and I just think there's so much great YA fantasy out there that that does this so well. And um, the book of the book of tea, which is this series, I think is one of um, one of the best ones out there this year. So this one is a Venom Dark and Sweet Book of Tea, Book Two by Judy I. Lynn. And we have. And this one made me very happy. This is The Witches of Moonshine Manor. It is by Bianca Moray. It is about a group of octogenarian witches. Okay, they are modern day witches. They are engaged in a magical heist that may or may not have gone dreadfully wrong. That is all I know. I think that's kind of all I need to know. This looks delightful. It is The Witches of Moonshine Manor by Bianca Murray. We also have Reluctant Immortals by Gwendolyn Keist out this week. This takes two women from classic literature, one from Dracula, one from Jane Eyre, turns them into immortals, and plants them smack dab in the middle of 1960s California. Yes, yes, and yes. This is Reluctant Immortals by Gwendolyn Keist. And last up, I want to talk about a mystery. This is Please, Please Join Us by Catherine McKenzie. This is a novel of secret societies, hidden agendas, and the lengths to which one woman will go to seize control of her life. This reminds me a little bit of the latest um, Alison Galen book about the woman who like joins this secret society of women who are trying to take revenge on people who've harmed them. I don't know if that's exactly what this is, but it kind of reminded me of it when I read the blurb. But this one is Please Join Us by Catherine McKenzie. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope that your TBR pile is expanding by leaps and bounds, as mine always is. I hope everyone is doing well and looking forward to the start of fall, at least if you are in my part of the world. Um, summer is winding down and fall is on the horizon. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.